electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the Nasdaq market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. Israel now ordering a full siege of Gaza following the deadly attacks by Hamas this weekend. The terror and the geopolitical tensions in the Middle East rippling through global markets will break down the impact on energy, the consumer, and your money coming up. Plus, storming the castle, activist Nelson Peltz upping a stake in Disney and once again upping the pressure on Bob Iger. Can seats on the board boost Disney's struggling stock price? And later, Oprah doing an about-face. The media titan just a couple weeks ago said taking obesity drugs is taking the easy way out. Today, she's changing her tune. The details, the context, straight ahead. I'm Melissa Lee coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. We start off with a major market turnaround. The Dow down 153 points at session lows before rebounding and rallying to close up 200 points on the day. The S&P 500 closing up more than half a percent. And the Nasdaq surging 52 points, all as investors shake off the war in Israel following the deadly Hamas terror attacks over the weekend. Crude and Brent both popping more than 4 percent, both seeing their biggest gains since early April. Safe haven gold up more than a percent and a half, and the defense sector posting an outsized move higher as expected airline travel-related names suffering today, major carriers including United, Delta, American, suspending service to Tel Aviv. The late-day rebound seeming to coincide with commentary coming from a number of Fed speakers. Our Steve Leisman will be along shortly with all of that. But we begin with the question, why are markets so calm? in a seemingly world of a crisis at this point. Guy, what so, do you think? And this is a hard show. For, we got to be careful, obviously. We understand what's going on. We're respectful of that. But we're tasked to do something through the lens of the market. And Karen and I were talking before, and I think part of it is this belief that interest rates will now fall on the back, potentially, of the Fed, or maybe the market will do it itself in the form of some safe haven asset, which should theoretically be somewhat supportive of stocks, on top of which... You know, that 4,200 level that we traded down to now a couple times has been a line in the sand that we've held. So, you know, Tim talks about the setup of positioning. It's a big part of this without question. The real issue for the markets will be understanding everything that's going on. Now with this Fed rhetoric seemingly dovish, what happens if these numbers, these inflation numbers, right. are somewhat hot this week? That creates a bit of a problem. CPI Thursday. Be- before the horrors of the weekend, though, we-, we had an intraday reversal on Friday that I think was more defining than any of this. And I think this was just a continuation. I think yield started to give ground. We reversed in today. It kind of felt like that CPI day back in October of 2022 when you had really strong data. In that case, it was uh, inflation data that was kind of the highest print we ever saw and therefore the lowest the market got and rallied off that point. I feel like like uh, we had some of that. We're going to wait to talk about the Fed with Steve. But uh, I feel like a market and an S&P that had sold off, uh, I don't know, almost 8 percent to the 200 day, almost as if it was supposed to. You then also have had this relative outperformance by the stocks that need to lead the market. So you have the seven, whatever we're calling them, um, that the triple Qs have dominated. And on Friday, they closed at least for this move off that October CPI bottom of 22 
a relative high with the S&P, which we've been waiting for. And I'm not saying I'll just let the market do what it does. But a lot of this stage was set on Friday. The fact that yields had had such a big move, Karen, you know, the flight to quality, all the things that we're talking about mean that I actually think equities can trade higher. I mean, industrials, utilities, staples, all of these things had had big, scary kind of almost crescendoing, I think, at least temporary bottoms. The bid for bonds certainly helps. I mean, we saw the bond market was closed today, obviously, in, in observance of Indigenous Peoples Day. But, you know, through the TLT, through bond futures, we know that there was a bid, as expected, for bonds. And so yields would be lower. We would ease the pressure off of stocks. Right. Although we have seen geopolitical events where there's the flight to quality and a flight away from equities. Mm-hmm. And we didn't see that. Right. Well, we saw it in the morning, but by the end of the day, we certainly didn't see that. I think, though, to your point, this could all go away if we see a really hot number, mm-hmm. right? I think maybe the next meeting, okay, maybe that's not on the table, but certainly for one after. If there's, uh, so th- I think we could reverse all this. The last, I mean, from Friday morning, the market was looking down about 200 points. And so that rally from there through that giant rally Friday through this rally today, that's a pretty big reversal. 3%. Yeah. And so <laughs> I don't know. I feel like that's it's getting... Uh, this mini bounce, I think, is near the end. Yeah, I think, you know, Tim's point about all those sectors that were down 10 plus percent and there were like seven or eight of them. Right. And there was definitely, you know, a flight to quality in some of the biggest tech names that had kind of kept the indices afloat a little bit. I um, mean, we only got down eight and a half percent at its lows. The S&P 500 to guys point on the technicals. It got right to that forty two hundred number. That was that rising 200 day moving average. So that was a big um, technical spot. And to your point, uh, you know, like sentiment was bad, you know. And so when you have an event like this, I think we were all glued to our TVs and reading about this all weekend long, and you say to yourself, this just doesn't feel great, right? And so, you know, the good news is that we have, again, if you're looking at it through the lens of the market, as we're doing right here, we have earnings that are coming up. You know, a Pepsi tomorrow morning before the opening, um, you know, that stock was down at its lows yesterday, I think 20% or something from its all-time highs just a few months ago. I don't think the sentiment gets that much worse. You have a stock that was trading at 27 times, now at about 20, 20 times next year's number at about a market multiple. We haven't seen that sort of multiple compression in a stock like Pepsi in a very long time. All that being said, that could happen to Apple, too. I mean, like, it just happened to about 10 household names, literally household names that we all took for granted, right, are staples, and they trade like that at that multiple for a reason. So I just say, you know, as we get into earnings, let's see what the fundamentals say, because the geopolitical situation around the world is not going to get better. I think we could all put our little political science hats on and say, this emboldens Russia, this emboldens Iran, this emboldens China. Like, I mean, the list goes on and on. And all of that, to me, is inflationary. When you think about the, the move that we've had in the last few years to deglobalize, and then if you look at the you know disruption to supply chains from a war like we had in 2022, all inflationary. So uh, you know rates don't have to go much higher at all. Fed funds futures are, are pricing what less than a 15% chance at that November meeting of a hike, and that's down from 30 about a week and a half ago or something like that. But if growth really stagnates, then we are in a stagflationary environment, and that will not be good for corporate profits. And I know that S&P earnings have been down four consecutive quarters in a row. So we had the earnings recession. Let's see if the recession recession comes in the economy. Yeah, and of course, um, Biden's going to meet with Xi in November. So this is all, it's an interesting sort of backdrop as we try to mend our relations with China. It is, um, but because we all recognize that bond yields may be somewhat a function of some of, geopolit- some of the geopolitics up there, we recognize that the dollar may be a function of geopolitics, um, and maybe even gold is starting to be up 50 bucks an ounce, uh, 50 bucks, yeah, an ounce since the, the Friday lows. I, I, 
I wonder if you think about it the other way. So think of all the stocks we say that we know that the, the, the triple Qs, but the biggest seven, Google today, uh, I think, closed at a fresh cycle high and is now up 42 percent against the S&P. But everything else, Dan, you point this out a lot. You're right. A lot of stuff trades awfully. And so whether it's industrials, whether it's autos, whether it's uh, even the airlines, a lot of the consumer stocks. But but maybe isn't that the strength of the market? In other words, it's not like things are just starting to sell off. Like some of these stocks have been awful for months, if not all year. Um, and so I realize that the triple Qs and those big stocks are, are you know, going to be the, the important part of keeping the market. Qu- question, up. though, what are you buying right now if you're buying the stock market? Are you buying an inflection in the economy, like an inflection up, right? We've oh. just talked about consecutive earnings growth. We've talked about, you know, economic data that has held in there and it's avoided this sort of recession that the stock market last October was pricing a near certainty, right, when we were down at 3,600. So I'm just saying if you're buying right here, you know, down five or six percent from the recent highs, you, you have to be optimistic about the economy. You have to be optimistic that companies that have been cutting costs fairly dramatically are going to be able to actually re-expand do margins. Think that? I, mean, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I, do I, think I that. buy, if you are buying the index, you're buying for an inflection. But if you're buying individual stocks, you're buying, for instance, Pepsi because it's so... Well, yeah you know, bombed out in terms of its valuation relative to what I'll give you another example. I mean, ago. Delta Airlines, for example, you know, I think collectively in the spring, we thought it potentially could trade up to 49, which was a prior high on the back of a myriad of different things. That's exactly what happened in its stop. It's given the entire move back as we're sitting here. It's 35 and a quarter ish. They report, I think, Thursday before the bell. I mean, that is a setup that I think you want to get yourself involved in. Typically, when things are at their best in terms of the news cycle for these airlines, it's the time to sell them. Conversely, when you get news like we're getting now, respectfully, that's sort of the time to buy them, especially in the earnings for a company that has a tremendous balance sheet. So back to your question of what are you buying, uh, if you're not buying the market, I'm sort of buying individual names. Right. And if I look at something like a meta, I think we'll see ad sale improvement. I think we'll see greater efficiency. Um, I think there's some AI magic there as well. But so that's a name, for example. I look at JP Morgan. I, that's one I want to, if you go home long, same as buying it at the close, I always say. So I like the setup there, uh, you know, 3% yield, less than nine times earnings. So I'm specifically buying whatever you just, names. You just is. listed two really good names. I, I mean, like, so, so like, like, I think we could all look at, like, some of these staples and say, I don't know, I, you know, well, like, well, or some of these transports or, or the airlines say, I don't know, you know, like from a trading standpoint, you want to set up the risk reward sets up pretty good, right? If you have it down 25 something percent. But I, I mean, who's that nimble, right? You know what I mean? Just to take a little crack on some of these things. I mean, maybe you are, maybe you're not. It's well, if you're trading the market money. every day, you're brave. Um, but if, if you're saying Delta, at, at, you know, 30 percent drawdown, what Guy's point is, and at this point now it's trading at seven times EBITDA and you know, everything they're telling us is is uh, at least their business to this point has been very strong. We're pre-COVID, you know, da, da, da. But back to the staples, you know, General General Mills, which is, I think, around 13 times a pre-COVID, about 15 times. If you look at the five year uh, multiple. So it's cheap. It's not crazy cheap. Um, you look at let's see. I had a couple of these other ones written down here. If you have a ConAgra, you know, it was 16 times. It's now at 10 times. Those are getting to a place where I think you can buy them. And you, you're making investments in companies that, you know, it's going to be a little rocking here. The utilities have been down for a year. Um, and that next era dynamic, we can debate that till we're blue in the face. But I think uh, the utilities are overdone. Yeah, uh, only point I'm making is about airlines. I, I can't see anything in the, in the very near term. Are there going to be more routes? Are input costs going to be less? Are geopolitical tech? You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't really see anything that's particularly positive other than valuation. So if you want to hold your nose and buy Delta down 35 percent, do that. But understand that it might be a really rocky environment over the next couple of months for these uh, for these stocks. You didn't say have at it. 
Well, I'm a little off. I'm a little off. Fed speak today giving investors a sense that the committee could be done raising rates this year. Let's bring in senior economics reporter Steve Leisman. Um, Steve, why do you think the Dove seems to, uh, the Fed seems to be leaning dovish at this point? Well, I'm not quite so sure it's leaning as dovish as the market uh, wants to hear right now. Um, for sure, they're leaning dovish on the near term. And, and that dovishness has to do with whether they need to do another hike this year or even another hike in this cycle. Um, both Logan and Jefferson, Logan from the Dallas Fed, uh, Vice Chair uh, uh, Phil Jefferson, suggested, hey, maybe we've done enough here, but we're definitely going to wait and see. They're both concerned about it. But and, and you can see that, by the way, in the probabilities, which I think are down for two reasons. I think the trade uh, when it comes to Israel uh, and, and, and the terrorist attack by Hamas, I believe that's part of it, um, uh, you know, general risk off trade. But also the comments, if you look at the tail of the tape on these Fed futures, a big decline in the outlook for that last hike. However, um, what they're both suggesting uh, is the possibility that because of stronger growth, that maybe rates could be higher for longer. So it's a bit of a, a mixed bag here. I wouldn't say entirely dovish, maybe dovish near term, hawkish longer term. You'd mentioned, I, I believe, before, Steve, that there's actually a, a cut now being priced in mid-year next year. Um, so that's always been there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at it while I talk to you, and I'll give you the exact quote on it. But what it has been, uh, Melissa, is there's been uh, cut plurality say 40 percent 45 percent in may june or july the first cut and what's happened with the recent <clears throat> pardon me dovishness is it's moved up into may so right now the percentages are 46 percent for a cut in may 43 percent to stay the same that's what it was for june or in hawkish days for example by the way probably friday it was more into july with that strong jobs report so that's one way that traders far out in terms of how far they're trading these things. And there's a lot of stuff. Uh, it, it's, it's a complication when you're saying, what will they do uh, in May or June when there's all kinds of stuff they could do before that? That being said, uh, it, it, the way the market expresses dovishness and hawkishness is when that first cut comes. Right now, today, it's in May. And we'll see what happens tomorrow. Of course, the bond market wasn't open. But if you look at the TLT, well, the price rose and the implied yield uh, sank. And so that suggests that when bonds do open, uh, yields could run quite a bit lower. Steve, maybe you could take us into the machinations. of So, for example, what we saw over the weekend is historic for a myriad of different reasons and obviously affects a number of different things in our world. Will they get on a call with each other and discuss that? Is that something you know or even can talk about? Uh, it's not something I know. Uh, if I did know about it, I could talk about it because I would say so. But, um, uh, Guy, I'm guessing any kind of major geopolitical situation comes along. The Fed's on the phone with uh, each other. They're on the phone with experts. They may even be on the phone with the White House. I would assume that. Right now, Guy, what I'm hearing from macroeconomists who I've spoken to today is very limited macro impact, principally through the oil channel seems to be initially the case. Of course, there is some change in the risk appetite and the risk outlook in the market. Um, but it is also interesting to think about uh, the vulnerability of the United States. We are producing an awful lot of our energy now. If you look at the Import to export ratio of oil it is down near historic lows. Uh, even though the SPR is down as well, we all we have a tremendous amount 
of North American production right here. So the risk in that score, I would say, if you were to compare it, for example, to the 70s, would be much, much less than it was there. So that risk is off, is, is, is lessened quite a bit, I would say. Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Steve Leisman. Pleasure. Interesting to hear Steve's take in terms of, uh, you know, it may not be as dovish as you think because rates are higher because maybe growth is actually that good. Well, they, they said that. They, they said that yeah. they think higher rates, they said yeah, higher for longer, but they said that rates are probably reflect investments, investors' assessments of the economy. Um, now, we've also spent a lot of time over the last few weeks that higher rates reflect uh, investors' assessments of, of term premium, um, of central banks, of technical factors, of a refunding schedule, of a debt-to-GDP or a federal deficit that's uh, getting bigger by the second. So uh, I think it's all of these things into one. But again, think of the move we've had in rates so quickly and bring it back to the stock market. I, I, the stock market has all kinds of headwinds and there's valuation dynamics and whatnot. But, but, but if rates give some ground and that next week non-favorable, if, if next rates when you're saying CPI rate or I, I, I mean no I mean rates I mean the yield curve and I mean I mean certainly what we've seen on the long end where at least a lot of equities and discount rates are priced if we see a very we just had a very 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 strong payroll number on Friday 260 average over the last three months no disputing the job market has not weakened the next week NFP markets are going to rally and and, and I don't know when that's going to be and maybe it's going to take longer but we all know the labor market's getting weaker all right. Our next guest suggests you can kiss the idea of a new bull market goodbye unless we get a big drop in rates. Canaccord Genuity Chief Market Strategist Tony Dwyer joins us now. Tony, you don't think rates are moving higher because the economy is stronger? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I think it, it's moving higher. If you pinpoint the peak moment for the S&P 500, it was July 31st when Janet Yellen talked about increasing the size of the Treasury issuance by a third more than expectations to a trillion dollars for the quarter following the debt ceiling crisis. So you increase supply significantly, a trillion dollars in a quarter. And at the same time, you've got quantitative tightening. So the Fed's not buying them. You've got um, Silicon Valley Bank, post Silicon Valley Bank means the regional banks and other banks balance sheets aren't adding to them. And of course, you've got Japan and China supporting their currency. So I really think part of it is a supply and demand imbalance that's really caused all of credit to trade to a significant high. And that is really to what Tim just said, that's going to be the catalyst to rally this thing. I mean, really rally this thing, which isn't too far away, is when bond yields start to drop and reflect the weaker economy. You're light and tight right now. That's what you're recommending. What does that mean? Yeah, it's annoyingly boring for this long, Mel. It means just to stay in a little extra cash and tight to the benchmark. And the, the reason for that is I'm bearish economically. All the clients know that. The people that watch this show know for the last year and a half I've been in that camp. I think we're going into a recession. I, I really am highly convicted of that. The reason I'm more not, not more negative to the market, meaning get the heck out um, and, and don't look back, is because so many stocks are already so are so smoked. You guys talked about PepsiCo and some other names. The airline. Remember when the airlines in the summertime is you had to you had to think the economy is going to boom because the airlines were ripping and everybody was traveling. Right. And then so it, and then it was the home builders because um, there was tight supply and they rallied to a new high. Both of those areas fell. And my guess is to the debate that we're having or the talk you were having before I came on, energy is probably in that next space that's having this incredible move higher, certainly on the tragic geopolitical events over the weekend. 
um, is helping that. But ultimately, once you if, if you believe the airlines are cheap, the only way they rally is if oil comes down. And if oil comes down, bonds are going to rip. And so what our call right now, Mel, as you, as you know, tactically is for an oversold bounce. But until you get that dramatic improvement in credit, and I mean dramatic, um, you're not, I don't think you're going to have that significant sustainable bull market. Hey, Tony, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. So aside from rate risk, where are you in terms of credit risk expansion? So, Karen, what I look back for is any any economic recovery, whether it's a soft landing or coming out of a recession, has always been driven by a significant sustainable drop and not just um, Fed policy. It's, it's typically, honestly, in the soft landing, not really Fed policy. It's a change in tone of the Fed that kickstarts a dramatic rally in corporate credit, mortgage credit, and, of course, U.S. Treasury credit. So in 1995, the, you know, the, the time that folks want to pretend we're in now, you had a you had a 200 basis point drop in all of those areas, mortgage, corporate and treasury during 1995. We're at a cycle high. So, Karen, I think the risk is until you see that significant tone change in the Fed like they had in February of 95 at the last rate hike there um, that kickstarted that rally. I think that's what really gets us going. We're just not there yet. Tony, always great to see you. Thank you. Thank you, Mel. Tony Dwyer, can accord genuity. Light and tight. Light and tight. Tight and light. My God, he's good. He's good at. <laughs> well, we're gonna get to, we're gonna get to the GLP. dark and stormy. <laughs> we're gonna get to the GLP ones later. I'll talk about light and tight. Um, so it's interesting. He's a great strategist. And, and guy, you and I talked to Urian Timmer um, from Fidelity last week, and you know we were talking about unemployment for a second. It was kind of interesting. He was saying that okay, we've lost three million workers out of the workforce. This was during COVID, and now there might be this situation where a lot of companies don't want to let go of workers just yet, especially into this kind of seasonal sort of thing. So it is kind of the one data point, if you think about it from an economic standpoint, that really does lend itself to the economy stronger than maybe a lot of us think, or a lot of strategists think, or even a lot. Of corporates think. I mean, when you think about it, because none of the guidance that we've heard over the last few quarters about a lot of companies that we think are really impactful as it relates to the economy are really that optimistic that have a lot of visibility one way or another. So maybe the unemployment thing it's is, too is something that is just kind of, you know, different this time. There it is. People have at it. Well, it's definitely too tight. And that's the point. I mean, I think we're going to get some weak numbers. We, let's just, we haven't had any. We haven't had any. And, and so it's just taken a lot longer than I think the Fed has expected, which is why we're at higher for longer. Coming up, Disney dispute. Activist investor Nelson Peltz reviving his proxy fight with the media giant. What his firm is doing and the board seat shuffle he's looking for. Details on that next. Plus, more M&A action in the pharma space, this time from Bristol Myers, as it looks to boost its cancer business. What the nearly $6 billion deal could mean for the stocks straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Activist investor Nelson Peltz and his firm Tryon reigniting a potential proxy battle with Disney just months after dropping its initial fight. Tryon taking a stake of more than 30 million shares worth more than $2.5 billion and planning to push for multiple board seats. According to sources familiar with the matter, Disney now trading near $85 a share. That's about $25 below where it traded when Peltz ended his last campaign in February. Is Nelson Peltz the answer? Tim, Disney shareholder, what do you say? I don't know, because it, it seems that the last catalyst that Peltz was bringing on was aggressive cost cutting and trying to get to profitability. And that was good for a rally in the Disney stocks. But we're stuck with some of the big issues around Disney. I, I, I think you do get back to valuation on Disney. I think you do get back to the parks business, who it might be looking at a trailing multiple on a company. I mean, the trailing parks numbers are fantastic. So the trailing parks means that Disney's trading. You're getting the entire rest of the company for free for what the EBITDA is historically on Disney, actually cheap to what it is for just the parks EBITDA. That's what keeps me there. Um, I don't love some of the challenges ahead of them, but those assets are worth a lot. So you asked the question, is he the answer? Mm -hmm. I don't know, but he's not the problem, right? Mm, right? So I think that he has an interesting history of being an activist that is really in it for the long term. Right. And um, so he's done that a number of times, mostly with success, occasionally not. GE is one, but uh, Procter & Gamble is a very successful one. So I think I, I don't think Disney could look there and, to the shareholders and say, don't worry, we, we got, got this. It, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I think having another voice on the board might be beneficial. We don't know. But I think he also has a decent shot of winning at least one seat. Yeah, and he wants a seat for himself. For himself. Wasn't Alan yes. Iverson nicknamed the I was answer? just going to say, yeah, you, 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 it's amazing. You're in my head. Well, Everybody's in my head. That's why I have a headache. It's like right behind my eyes. The, the only answer, as Tim pointed out, is Alan Iverson, who oddly enough yeah. is a huge Fast Money fan. <laughs> so a shout out to AI. But we talked about this last week. Oddly we had a conversation enough. about Disney sitting, sitting, sticking to their knitting. They were starting right. to get back to their core competencies. I thought it could get to 75 and sort of capitulate. It got to 78 and change. Last week, maybe that was enough. And Nelson Peltz, again, I don't know if he's the answer, but he's certainly not the problem, to Karen's point. There's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. More action in the pharma space as M&A heats up. Bristol-Myers' latest buy and what it will mean for the stock next. Plus, prepping for Prime Day. Amazon hoping buyers will keep adding to their cart. But our next guest says the consumer may finally be starting to buckle. What he sees for the first time in a decade. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. M&A in the pharma space today. Bristol-Myers Squibb announcing it will acquire cancer drug maker Murati Therapeutics for up to $5.8 billion. A deal will help BMY offset expected revenue losses for some of its most popular drugs that will hit the generic market later this decade. Shares of both companies falling today. BMY, in fact, hitting a new 52-week low on the back of this. Um, interesting. I mean, Murati also has $1.1 billion in cash, so 
you know, that purchase price doesn't tell the whole story here. Guy, what do you think? Two-year low for Bristol-Myers. Again, you're going to see this. I think this is the first of many. A lot of these big-cap farmers who's basically, if you look at their the pipeline they have, it's not that robust. So what do you have to do? You have to buy growth. How do you have to do that? You have to pay up for it, and the market does not reward you for that. They had to do something, they did it. Gilead, similar situation, and they're fighting their way through it a couple years later. Bristol-Myers is in that place where you don't want to be in terms of big cap pharma. The interesting one, to me, continues to be Merck, which went from 119 to 100, seemingly in the drop of an eye. Now valuation, you can actually wrap your head around. That makes sense. But Bristol's put themselves in their own purgatory. If what Guy says is true, and sometimes it is. Sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Karen, once upon a time, Karen, you were investing in XBI, I believe, on the premise that they would be the takeout targets. Right. Yes. True this time around, you think? Because it doesn't seem like we get that sort of expected pop. As opposed to well, wait, 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 wait. Let's just back up, though, on this particular deal. They were rumored to be up for sale, and the stock went up a ton. And it turned out that the ultimate price was a little bit disappointing. So you did, if you were in this, which I was definitely not, you did make some money, a fair amount of money. The other thing about, I mean, this is a small deal for Bristol-Myers, right? And you're, to your point, yeah. they do have cash, but they also have a burn right now, because that's sort of in the life, where they are in right. the life cycle. But... Um, I mean, Bristol-Myers is really trading poorly. Um, I mean, a lot of reasons, the whole sector. But, you know, Eliquis is on the Medicare right. list. of. So uh, I don't know that this changes things, but um, uh, I am long Bristol-Myers. It's been a painful one. It's, it's not crazy Would you expensive. have preferred a bigger deal? No, not necessarily. Okay. I, mean, I mean, yeah, not necessarily. No, I think, I think part of their problem is specific to them. Part is the sector. Yeah, like Pfizer. Well, uh, you know, Tim's Pfizer, I mean, this is a case of exactly what Guy said. This is a company that, that has a pipeline and certainly has the heyday of COVID behind it. And they've spent some money, spent a lot of money uh, to apparently buy, you know, $30 billion in new revenues by 2030. We'll see. But I, I think this gets back to a little bit of our A block is what, what companies do you want to buy right now? I mean, I, I look across healthcare and, and I've got a lot of confidence buying these companies. I realize that the, the growth may be challenged. Forget the politics. I, I, to me, that's you're buying two or three years out. And I I think these companies have, have priced in really just uh, existential stuff that is important, but these are valuations that are comfortable. Coming up, ready to add to your cart? Amazon Prime Day kicking off tomorrow, and the deals will be flowing. But our next guest says buyers may not be looking to shop till they drop. Former Walmart U.S. CEO Bill Simon joins us next to detail why the consumer may finally be starting to feel the pressure. The details in this top picks in retail when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check on how markets finished the day. The Dow jumping nearly 200 points. The S&P and Nasdaq both up about a half a percent. Commodities spiking in today's session. Crude and Brent both up 4 percent. The energy sector having its best day since April. Gold and silver also jumping just about 2 percent. As Amazon, Target and Walmart begin a series of big sales events this week, our next guest warns consumers' willingness to spend is for the first time in over a decade starting to buckle. Bill Simon is a former Walmart U.S. CEO. He's now on the Darden Restaurants and Haynes Brands board, so he brings a great perspective here. Bill, always great, good to speak with you. What are you seeing that makes you believe that finally the consumer is going to crack? Hey, Melissa. Yeah, you know, the consumers had a, an incredible really 10, 12 year run as they started this recovery and the markets were, you know, buoyant, interest rates were low and money was available. And, you know, we're starting to see this accumulation of, you know, 
global macroeconomic issues, geopolitical issues, inflation, interest rates, you know, loan repayments. I mean, we've got a really, really contentious election that we're in the middle of. Congress can't pass a budget. They can't even elect a speaker. And I think that that sort of pile up wears on the consumer and makes them wary, even though they may not be as bad as they feel, because there's some positives going on in the consumer market as well. You know, uh, unemployment's low and wage rates are up. So it's it's a challenge. But I think overall, for the first time in a long time, there's a reason for the consumer to pause. Are there any specific data points that you can share with us, Bill, just from your, you know, being on on the boards of Haynes and and Darden and your, you know, involvement with Walmart that you can share with us to, to illustrate how the consumer is behaving differently this time? Are you seeing more trade downs, uh, you know, at the restaurant? Maybe the check is getting smaller. Maybe, you know, people are, I don't know, not upgrading their undergarments as much. What? <laughs> oh, that's, come on. Phil, don't yeah. answer that. Come on. Let's Whatever hope so. it may be, the well, consumer's doing hard times. <laughs> no, I, I think you could look back to, you know, Walmart's report, last quarterly report, and they talked about a, a very, very large trade down, uh, you know, and typically what you see during difficult economic times is a trade down from, you know, middle middle income down to lower income and upper down to middle. And, you know, you're starting to see that. But you also see shifts in things like pack sizes uh, at the beginning of the month versus the end of the month. They buy larger pack sizes in the beginning when they have more cash and they buy smaller ones at the end of the month and all that's starting uh, you know, to to you know, rear its ugly head, and you can tell even you know, look at Amazon's uh, you know website today and Walmart's as Walmart launched their their program. You know, there's a lot of interesting things going on. They don't they usually say 50 inch TV 199 dollars or something like that, and now they say 50 inch TV 40 percent off. And you use percentages when you're not real proud of your price point. Um, I think you've got inflation pushing. The, price, the relative price points up, um, so even the retailers are are, are feeling the, uh, you know, the, the inflationary push, and so that's going to translate into sort of consumers' acceptance of of, of the prices and what they buy. Uh, Karen, thanks for being on. Let me ask you about competitors. Do you think that Amazon is a monopoly or has a sort of unfair position relative to other retailers? You would know the retail position in the United States better than just about anyone. You know, Amazon is a machine that runs uh, these, you know, if you just sort of look at what's happened over the last 20 years, you know, they get people into Prime when Prime was, you know, originally $49. And we've seen the price of Prime escalate and we've seen the number of competitive retailers, uh, you know, decline, right? Like, you know, what happened to Circuit City? What happened to some of the, the specialty big box stores? They start going away and I think Amazon, um, you know, only recently started making any money with their retail business. Uh, they use the funding from, you know, their their uh, advertising and their cloud services to, you know, get clicks to their retail business, and and that's you know, that's challenging for all but the biggest retailers like Walmart and Target to compete with. So you do think Amazon has an unfair position? Mm-hmm. Unfair is a relative term. Fair enough. What's your, what's your <laughs> top pick? In, we'll read between the lines, Bill. <laughs> um, what's your favorite pick in retail right now? 
Well, I, they all got something going for them. Amazon's a beast. Target, uh, you know, I love their position, and it's really hard to imagine they could get worse um, than they were the last couple of quarters. But I still like Walmart right now, and it's solely because of the food business. I think that with the, the traffic that their food business drives relative to their two big competitors, uh, they're going to have both the eyeballs and the foot traffic to probably have a better Christmas than maybe their competitors. Bill, it's always great to see you. Thank you so much for your time. You bet. We'll see you. Bill Simon. That wasn't a fair question about what? updating underwear and stuff. Seriously. I mean, what, I think well, guy faced with a trip to the, to the Olive Garden or some new Hanes. I mean, how, how do you fall in line on that? Yeah, it's funny you say that. Yeah. I'll, I'll take the Hanes over Olive Garden, but that's probably due to my ethnicity. Bill said maybe Target <laughs> Whatever. is I'm through. Not sure what that means. <laughs> through. It's, I'm, I'm not, not going to Olive Garden. I, I ain't going to Olive Garden. Oh, maybe you're, I don't know, maybe you're enjoying it, Tim. You know, have, have at it. It's <laughs> answer. He said Target, maybe the worst is over. They better hope so. The stock has been cut in half now, effectively, in two years. And I get this really odd feeling that the inventory bugaboo that sort of cropped up in the spring of 22 is about to crop up again into the, say it, Mel, holiday season. Ho, ho, ho. Yeah. <laughs> Nacho losing trade for Kellogg's and spinning off its snack business into a new company called Kellanova. Last Monday, both stocks have fallen sharply. Kellogg's down 22%, even with today's 10% pop, while Kellanova is down nearly 10%. So why are investors souring on this split? Tim, you were observing the uh, the cereal side of the business today. Yeah, look, uh, there's no question that there are pressures falling on Staples companies we, we've outlined. I mean, the correlation to yield-based plays, whether it's uh, utilities or other things that, that have also had a tough time, that's part of it because these are companies that are supposed to be have a consistent payout ratio, et cetera. These are companies now that have costs that I think are very different than what they had two years ago, and they don't have the ability to pass on these prices. I actually think that, that KLG coming out of that spinoff where it traded down really almost a 50% haircut at one point at its low um, starts to get pretty interesting. And I look across the space, and we talked about it. I think a lot of these companies are are – Cheap relative to their history, I think they can get a little cheaper, especially when you consider how extraordinary the move in rates has been. But when you get back to uh, a craft, which is trading at a 60% haircut to its pre-COVID average, a company, by the way, that had its own issues. You remember all the financial engineering around the takeout of craft and taking it private and bringing it back. And, uh, you know, I, I think you have to be careful which ones you pick. But I love the setup here in Staples. Coming up, it's Arm Day on Wall Street. Why are a handful of firms curling into this stock? We'll hammer into that trade and more when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Wall Street wrapping their arms around Arm. The market newcomer receiving a slew of buy ratings from analysts today. And unlike some of the other New Street offerings, Arm is holding up all right. Deirdre Bosa's got the details. Debo. Mel, all right. I think that's the correct word because remember that this is a stock that popped some 25% on IPO day. That was 25 days ago. It has since then, though, paired gains. Not that you would know it from the street initiations today. They were bullish across the board. Here's a sampling of what they wrote. Muscle behind the brain of the compute. Everywhere you look, tectonic ecosystem play. They hit on this theme of growth potential. Now, the only sell rating on the stock, however, it comes from Bernstein, who was not involved in underwriting the IPO. And they give us the bear case. They write, it's too soon to declare ARM an AI winner. A lot of the bear, ca- the bull case rests on 
and markets that Arm has yet to go into. Right now, it still derives its revenue from royalties in a saturated end market that is smartphones. Becoming an AI beneficiary, that will require them to move into new and challenging markets. They're going to have to overcome new competition that's gaining some momentum, and potentially they need to rebalance away from China. So there's a list of stuff they still got to do, but the notes today, I read 10 of them. All 10 of them had buy ratings. These were the banks that underwrote the IPO, so they had to wait 25 days before they published. Yep. Um, Deirdre, thank you. Deirdre Bosa. Hmm. All 10 underwriters have buy ratings. Interesting how that works. Dan, what do you think? Debo really surrounded the trade there. And I yeah. think it's interesting <laughs> when you think of Bernstein. And again, if all of the potential, like if you think about the stock trading at 18 times next year's sales, and that has to come from their diversification away from smartphones, just look at like a Qualcomm, okay? And they are not diversified from uh, smartphones. Trades at about 12 times earnings, okay? I mean, like when you think about this one, so if they have to get, if this is all on the come right here, uh, it just doesn't make sense at this valuation right here, right now. Trading on hope for AI. So am I. My whole life it hasn't panned out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, last three years, 2.7, 2.7, maybe $3 billion of revenue. That's sort of flattish revenue growth-ish. Trades, I think, a market cap now is north of $55 billion. It's expensive. We had Rick Heitzman on, I think, the day it became public, and we asked that question. He said, don't read too much into that. This is a transformative company. Maybe, maybe, but they're getting rewarded for it, I think, in terms of the valuation. Well, at this point, is the valuation gotten down to a level that's interesting? I mean, sort of, but, but a couple of reports that have come out are pointing to EPS Kager of 40%. JP Morgan's got an EPS Kager of 40% over the next three years oh. and a revenue Kager of 18 plus percent. Based upon that, sure. I mean, that, that's a buy, but that's, that, that's a lofty target. Coming up, the big, oh no, Oprah Winfrey walking back criticism of weight loss drug Ozempic. We'll bring you the whole story next. More Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Oprah Winfrey doing a bit of an about face after the WW board member said a couple weeks back that she wouldn't take Ozempic or obesity drugs to lose weight following a knee surgery. Oprah saying, I've got to do this on my own because if I take the drug, that's the easy way out. In a statement to the journal, she walked back her comment saying, my position on the use of prescription medication was misconstrued and taken out of context. To be clear, I believe that prescription medications are an important and viable option to consider for people who are struggling with weight and health-related issues. Every person should be able to choose what wellness and good health means for them without any scrutiny, stigma, or shame. WW shares surging more than 13% on those comments. Now, if you remember, they started offering users a way to take the obesity drugs as part of their program earlier this year, sort of a, a lifeline, if you will, for this company. Um, Karen, you've been following this company very closely, but it's just interesting the power of Oprah and how much she can move yes. this stock. Well, the, I, I mean, this I view Weight Watch one of my biggest misses ever. The day that she bought 5% was, became the, uh, the spokesperson and the stock went from like 7 to 11. I'm like, oh, it's kind of high. On its way to 100, <laughs> mm -hmm. where she did sell it. Good for her. I don't know if she was misconstrued or not. I don't know that it really matters. What matters is, this is her statement now. And uh, the new CEO, Seema Sistani, has made a pivot that is a brave pivot but necessary because you could just see the business was going away. And so they could either embrace this or not. Good for her for doing it. I don't own it now. To me, the problem is the balance sheet. They just have too much debt. 
Well, if you think about also there being a safe pair of hands and a conduit and a place for people to walk in, I mean, it's really, they're a perfect intermediary. You know, a lot of people don't have a doctor or wouldn't know exactly who to call to get that prescription. I realize it's not that difficult, but Weight Watchers has had that kind of touch. They have a marketing book. They have a Rolodex. They have a loyalty program. It does make a lot of sense. It's interesting, though. I think the issue is that flies in the face of 50 or 60 years of this company's mantra. And that's exactly, I think, what Oprah said. You know, I've been using the GLP-1 through Roe Body. This is a company that's one of the largest prescribers of this drug. It's a telehealth solution. It's exercise. It's nutrition. It deals with your insurance companies. It, you know, I mean, it is. So, so there's different companies out there that maybe are more in the picks and shovel space. This company, Weight Watchers, has to reorient their whole business. If you're a startup, you can start from scratch and you can kind of think about how this industry is going to be transformed. And I just think that's kind of interesting, you know, like juxtaposition. And again, this balance sheet isn't really made for a pivot. Right. I mean, the whole thing gets to the businesses that will be disintermediated, impacted by the rise of these drugs. And everybody's out Quick there now trying to figure out, you know, be it Bank great. of America saying one to three percent of calories will no longer be consumed in the United States. That's a huge number. If you think about it, I mean, spread across Businesses, it may not be an individual impact, but for some, it'll, they'll, yeah. they'll feel it. It's a, but maybe the fact that everybody's talking about them now, people right. will maybe they'll go and try to find a Weight Watchers and try to figure out maybe this is right for me. Maybe it works for them. Over the summer, I think it was in July, Morgan Stanley actually upgraded the stock $13 price target. So they were early and right. Actually feels like it could go there, which percentage-wise is a pretty big move. All right. Up next, final trades. for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim. We get to a place where some of these healthcare companies, and yeah, why not Tim's Pfizer, where if you look at their core business, and I realize based upon yesterday, you can't do that. But based upon yesterday, it's less than nine times earnings at Pfizer. Stay there. Chairwoman. Yes. So something we've been talking about for a while is rates, but something we haven't talked that much about is credit spreads, which I think do have a ways to go outward. So I am short HYG looking for a bigger spread in credit risk. Dan. Yeah, Zoom starting to kick the tires in this one last quarter. Good quarter, good guidance. A third of that market cap is in cash, no debt. I think you have downside to maybe 60, but it's like three to one upside, downside. Tim Seymour did a beautiful thing yesterday. Went to the Baltimore Oreo game with his dad, yeah. who worked for the Orioles. It was a beautiful picture. We'll put that. We should put that in like that daughter. Was, on your Show Pinterest page yeah. or something. Show us. It was Show a great family day. Beautiful. Orioles didn't do their part. But. Well, Thank this you. is another game. Yeah. Felt the airlines there, sister. All right. Thanks for watching Fast Money. <laughs> Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. People today can spend half their lives over 50, so it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.